0: Hey, everyone. A quick note before we start today's episode, I want to point you to our brand new website at guiltgracepod.com for all things guilt, grace, gratitude. All of our podcasts, their categories by type, by episode, by season, by author, by topics, by all those good things. So everything guilt, grace, gratitude podcast, you can find at guiltgracepod.com as well as our brand new confessional podcast network. Which will be housed at confessionalpods.com. We have our inaugural sets of podcasts who have joined us, and we have more who are coming on board pretty soon. And you can also find the Confessional Podcast Network on anywhere good podcasts are found. If you guys can help us in any way financially, go to guiltgracepod.com to give and donate. We have a lot of big plans. For 2023 and beyond, and we would love for you to partner and support and build this bridge to confessional reform theology with us. Now, let's get on to this episode.
1: Like, what I w- say with more confidence is that Christianity itself does not lend itself to racism. Yeah, in part because when it, when it developed, the whole notion of race was not out there. You mm-hmm. know, we didn't have a notion of race. We in multiple times mm-hmm. so so you know you have that and we think about it whites are actually less likely to be christians than african americans and hispanic americans yep yeah so if christianity the religion itself was bent towards racism one would think that that would not be the case exactly so yep. so yes yeah, so i'm i think you're on a couple of grounds saying christianity as a religion is not racist
2: Welcome to the Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hello everyone, yet once again it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast, sponsored by Logos Bible Software, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. As you guys know, we're on a new season. We're doing apologetics this season, and this episode is going to be focused on racism and response to racism. Um, And we're going to have George Yancey on, mainly because he's written um, a recent book called a Unifying Alternative to color blindness and Anti-Racism. Uh, the main title is Beyond Racial Division, and it's published by IVP Press. So we'll have jo- uh, George help us with this conversation today. Uh, if you go to our show notes and hit the IVP Press link, you can get a copy for yourself of this book. Uh, that uh, George is mainly going to be referencing or we're mainly going to be referencing both Peter and I just recently read. So we're bringing that kind of into this conversation, not limited to this book, but we're going to use it. Um, And then some other references how to contact us, how to find a local uh, reformed or confessional church to call home or reference to somebody else. So click that link, type in your zip code, find the closest churches near you. Uh, you can find out ways to how to uh, stay up to date with what we're up to, future episodes, things that are going on on a day to day basis, communication, or if you just want to email us, uh, it's guiltgracepod at gmail.com. You can go to Twitter and Instagram, same handle at guiltgracepod. You can go to YouTube and type in guiltgrace gratitude podcast and hit subscribe. These conversations are automatically have a video attached to them. So if that's more your thing, YouTube, we do, we got you there too. So um, other than that, we have uh, a thing called bridge builders. So you heard me say Logos Bible software is our main sponsor. So there are uh, an example of a bridge builder. And then halfway through this episode, you'll hear some words from some of our sponsors who are other bridge builders. But if you're just a, most of you guys are just an individual like you and I, uh, uh, and you wanted to donate to the show Uh, you could do that too and become a bridge builder. So you click that Patreon link and you can see the different levels of giving and how to do that. If that fits you and you're able to do it without taking away um, your giving at your local church. So we will jump into this episode here and let Peter further introduce George Yancey today. Yeah, we have Dr. George Yancey, who's Professor...
0: At the Institute for Studies of Religion at Bailey University, specializing in race, ethnicity, and religion, which is part of the reason why we have him on the show today. Works to promote collaborative conversation or collaborative communication, which is actually a big theme in this book as well, as a solution to racial unrest. His books include compromising scholarship, one faith no longer, hostile environment beyond racial gridlock, and transcending racial barriers amongst a, a bunch of different articles that he's written and a, and a couple organizations that he helps as well. So thanks for coming on and talk about this topic, Dr. Yancy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you. We read your work. I've read a couple other things. I was pretty sure I read some stuff at Westminster um, about your work. Um, but maybe first, to, before we get into our questions, maybe tell our audience a bit about yourself, your interests, your background, and, and what you currently do sure
1: yeah so i've been writing on race ethnicity for quite a while although i did take a a long break so about 20 25 years ago i guess i started writing on race ethnicity to a christian audience and academically studying and doing research on that topic uh about 2010 i decided i hadn't had enough writing about race and ethnicity so hmm. I decided I wanted to work on other things. And that's where I, you know, I wrote some of the other stuff that you cited, you know, on uh Carl scholarship and such. Uh 2020, you know, the summer of Floyd and yeah. Alberry, uh, God kind of got me back into doing racial issues. You know, I I thought I was done, but God said no. And that's what that's sort of where I positioned myself to write uh this book, Yon Racial Division, mm-hmm. where I, you know looked at some of the changes that happened and so updated my approach but also some of the research Hmm. that's out there and so that's where i'm at today
0: Hmm. awesome yeah because it's for those who are looking at this book or looking at reading more about racism racial issues all this stuff it's um it's it's an extremely well researched book and it's not just like kind of anecdotal this is what i this is what i think but it's 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 research which i think is really helpful for those coming into this Um, You can go to different resources that he, that he pulls from and um, different studies that he pulls from. But I mean, I really appreciated that where you, it's, which anecdotes are are great, but like, there's, there's a lot of solid research put into this that you can look into and say, okay, this is there. This is where he gets it from. Maybe this is something I I can look into myself as well.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, I, 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 I am a social scientist, and so I, I do want to pull from research. I'm a Christian, and so I pull from theology. Yep. And yep. Well, there is a place for the antidote, but uh, but yeah, I uh, definitely want to. I want people to know it's not just my, me thinking; it's what people, have, other people, have done with the research that we're yeah. looking
2: at too. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, and and uh, this question might be a little redundant, but uh, just think of it as more peeling the onion back on uh, the, <laughs> yeah. Peter's first question. So with your background, you explained, um, you're also uh, with your Christian faith and you are Christian here in focus as well. Mm-hmm. So you are a believer, uh, a fellow brother in Christ. And so a little bit more about uh, the recent book, what like, what what pushed you to write a book on the topic of racial division and better way forward and some of the uh, maybe uh, uh, content that's in the book.
0: Yeah, maybe to add on to that real quick, like, because I know you've written on it. A- 20 years before, so I mean, like, what got you into the very first place, and also, what yeah. got you into writing this book as well?
1: Well, uh, you know, the thing that really got me involved with race in the first place was a broken relationship. Hmm. Uh, you know, I grew up, and I felt that, yeah, I'm black, and yes, I faced racism growing up. Boss felt that, you know, I wasn't a slave, I wasn't even Jim Crow, mm-hmm. so I'll face racism, and I'll overcome it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I Got a, got a college degree, first one in my family, was going to grad school, was successful there. And then I fell for a woman.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, her mom, for a life our term, was just a racist. Mm. And so I felt, well, I could win her over. But I couldn't win her over. And that experience, I realized, was a very important turning point in my life. Because it showed me just how pernicious racism is and that you can't always overcome it. And that got me into studying racism, understanding it. Understanding it as a Christian, you know, back to some of my Christian friends around me, I was disappointed. Uh, and that got me into dealing with race initially. Hmm. I got to where in 2010, that felt like I said all I had to say on it. And so I wanted to study other things. So I did. Uh, 2020, for whatever reason, because, you know, we've we had, we've had shootings before. We've had, you know, you had Michael Brown and hmm. and, and, and you had other shootings before was something about the albury and then the the uh floyd just really kind of triggered something to me and i uh i actually pulled away for a little while when i got back i found there's more interest in what i had to say and i knew what was out there was not working hmm. so i felt a call you know do i get back into this do i jump back into this and, and i kind of didn't want to i didn't want to write another book uh my wife actually wanted me to write the book and i didn't want to write the book hmm. And so we compromised, and I wrote the book.
0: Uh, <laughs> you always listen to your wife.
1: Yeah, uh, but I think I think it was an important book to write because you know uh, I can refer people back to the book I wrote in two thousand six. I think it's very useful still. Mm-hmm. But still, you know, you had once been updated, and I've learned more since then.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So that made me want to put something new out there that I think might offer a path away from what we're doing today, which is just polarizing ourselves.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's helpful background. And I think this is it's an important conversation to have, and especially for apologetics. And those may wonder like, why, why are we talking about racism and apologetics? It's I think most people just think it's apologetic methods, but we were talking pre-recording. This is I think this tends to be a more pervasive question among non-Christians about the Christian faith, is that I think I think there's kind of this wrong assumption, but an assumption nonetheless that the Christians tend to be racist. And I think this is a, a question that we have to wrestle with and a topic we have to wrestle with. And so that I think that brings me to the to the next question. For those on the outside looking in, those who don't confess Christ, racism has cropped up as, as a big issue. And I think we've we talked to other people before I think for for us who who were we're not black, it's for us it I think it tends to crop up as an issue for us. But um for those who've always dealt with this, it's always been an issue. Um, not as much with us. But especially around election season uh, and the candidates that evangelicals may endorse um uh, so based based on your research and, and personal experience what do those outside the faith usually think about Christians around these racial issues
1: yeah there's there's you know I I've also studied anti christian bias uh in that time after our study yeah
0: and that, that was mostly what this yeah question was yeah. prompted by yeah. And,
1: and yeah and that is one of the common uh one of the common perceptions of Christians is that they're bigoted, that they're racists, and and that sort of thing. Uh, so, so that that's pretty common. Now, you know, we'd be remiss not to say that there that there there is a racism problem within Christian, Christianity. Christianity, mm-hmm. there is. Uh, the question is, is it worse in Christianity than, than outside Christianity? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a mixed bag. Uh, I think there are some research that suggest that it may be. Other research that suggests that it's not so I think it's a mixed bag on whether it's worse or not like what i w- say with more confidence is that christianity itself does not lend itself to racism yeah in part because when it when it developed the whole notion of race was not out there you mm-hmm. know we didn't have a notion of race when, in biblical times mm-hmm. so so you know you have that and when you think about it whites are actually less likely to be christians than african americans and hispanic americans yep yeah so if christianity the religion itself was been towards racism one would think that that would not be the case exactly so yeah. so yes yeah, so i'm i think you're on a couple of grounds saying christianity as a religion is not racist i think it's a mixed bag i mean i, I i'm thinking of research that that suggests that christians are more vulnerable to racism you know how you define it i can also give research that shows well you know uh what we call intrinsic christianity is not that vulnerable to racism extrinsic christianity is uh, so I think that that's a mixed bag, uh, as far as we look at Christians. And, and to the degree it's a mixed bag, I think it it, it is a, uh, a, a a I don't know how, how to put this uh, a confrontation for us as to why it, it is a problem hmm. that we have this problem of racism since our religion does not lend itself to that. Yeah, I don't think that's a challenge to us. That's probably what I'm looking for a challenge to us. Yeah. to really think about those <clears throat> sort of things.
0: And at least historically, it hasn't been the case because Christianity came from the Middle East um, mm-hmm. and then first hit Africa, first hit Egypt, yeah. um, historically like bl- blacker or more colored or whatever it is, people groups. And then it finally hit Europe a, a few centuries later. So it's it started from those who were not white and then kind of yeah. moved into those who were white. So it's if that's our history, then yeah. uh, kind of where are we kind of moving from now?
1: I think you look at our history and I think you can see the sort of uh, – Dynamics. All right, so there's a lot of historical documents of Christians supporting slavery based on the Bible. Yeah, Uh, but on the other hand, the abolition movement started off, for the most part, as a faith based movement. Yep, yep. You know, the the Christians were really running the abolition. So, you are Christians more racist? Plenty of evidence that Christians in the South use their faith in order to support racism. Yeah. You know, I don't think they were getting it from the intrinsic part of what Christianity is, right. but they're using their faith just like they use evolution to do that yep. as well. Yeah, on the other hand, you have Christians, you know, the GibeQ sisters, uh, Wilberforce, uh, you know, these Christians who are actually pushing to the end of slavery
0: based mm-hmm. on
2: their faith as well. Yep, yep. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, that makes sense because unfortunately, there's some people that claim to be Christian that try to redefine certain things that are in the Bible to support things like modern day slavery when biblically slavery was completely different type of Mm, situation, context. So, and, and also, I really think it's great as Christians, we know that God's family, you know, us being brothers in Christ and brothers and sisters in Christ across the world, isn't held to national borders or, you know, it's all nations and all tongues.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: if we really are truly Christian, it, it, like you said, Christianity itself is very anti-racist, but unfortunately there are people out there that claim to be Christian that try to, try to redefine it into their yeah. own context. So yeah. Good. Yeah.
1: Um, Oh, go ahead. You know, one of the questions that I know people get is Christianity supports slavery, that it goes back to the Bible. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing you have to remember about this. You know, that is taking us in the 21st century and rejecting it back there. And here's what I mean by that. The Christians back there were not in the position we were at. Mm -hmm. You know, if there was slavery in the United States today and Christians were voting for a pro-slavery candidate, yeah, you got something. Mm -hmm. Christians could not vote back then. Uh, the 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 challenge right. question back then was okay. What do we do with people who own slaves and people who are enslaved, and how can we have one community? Now, you know, I think that's a different question, and to try to pose our question back then, I think is is not accurate what they need to do. Mm-hmm. And I think by and large, you know, uh, we look at the reason of Paul. It was not an endorsement of of slavery. Right? It was an endorsement of
2: building community.
1: One could struggle with that but it's not the same thing. I
2: think we have to be very careful about that. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and uh, you argue two predominant paths of colorblindness and anti-racism have not worked and will not work <clears throat> to solve our problems and heal pain around racism, resulting from a thoroughly uh, racialized society. How Can you define both colorblindness and anti-racism and what your proposed solution is for a better path forward?
1: Sure. So colorblindness is probably the easiest to define. It's just the way we de- defeat racism is we ignore race.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that, you know, when I look at a person, I don't see their race. You know, I'm not treating you differently by race. And, and and so let's not even bring up race as a conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, don't tell me you need to bring up race is to describe, you know, someone running away from you to the police or something like that. Mm-hmm. you know, we don't need to describe race. That's colorblindness. And there is a little bit more complicated. Uh In order to get an understanding, I read the literature on anti-racism by people who wrote it, Mm -hmm. who were advocating. They said they were anti-racist. So this is not like CRT, where people are saying, hey, you know, these people are not CRT. They don't even claim to be CRT. These people claim to be Mm.
3: anti-racist.
1: And, you know, there's a couple of tenets of anti-racism, I think, are are quite accurate. They would be proactive. Their racism is multifaceted. But the problem anti-racism runs into, and, you know... I saw this again and again and again. So this is not like I I pulled just one thing out of context Mm -hmm. to see this issue. The problem with anti-racism is ultimately its solution is that whites must do what people of color tell them to do.
3: Mm.
1: And that doesn't work. And the research shows that does not work. That diverse training does not result in crisis reduction. That... uh, it's, term,
0: is, it's the opposite, isn't it? Like, if you, you have diversity a training, it actually is It does isn't
1: always, but you can create a backlash. Yeah, where people are actually—I don't really want to say more racist, but more less sympathetic to people mm-hmm. of color due to diversity training. And I think part of it is that if we had this attitude, this is what we had to teach hill whites what to do—that comes through. I think that that's part of what was happening. Yeah. That it can create less sympathy for marginalized whites. If you talk about privilege. But no more sympathy for marginalized people of color. Hmm.
3: There's
1: all sorts of problems with the anti-racism that the research has shown does not work. Mm-hmm. So those don't work. I argue as a Christian, <clears throat> and my book is not, you know, it's a Christian book, but yeah. I don't
3: go through chapters.
1: You know, I have one chapter where I say, Hey, I'm gonna do the theology in this chapter. Yep. If you don't want to read my theology, skip this chapter and yep. you can do that and and the, the book flows just fine. Uh, but as Christian, we should know that those are not going to work because human depravity means when we say we have the solution and we're going to pose on others, and both both groups try to impose their solution on others, we say that, that does not take into account that we as fallen creatures often have our own blind spots
2: mm-hmm. that
1: we don't see. And that we're going to try to pose put solutions that are going to work for us, necessarily for everyone else. So my approach is that we gotta have better conversations. We can't just talk at each other, we have to talk with each other.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And we can't just say, I have the solution and you have to do my solution and then we have personal harmony. Even if I had the right perfect solution, me just saying that is gonna guarantee a, a backlash, a pushback, but if we can come together to find solutions together, then we all have skin in the game. And then we all can work together and mm-hmm. to me, building a community is the way to stop our move towards polarization.
0: yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, before next next question, maybe to to tie it up, it's so what you're saying is colorblindness is like let's not even talk about race mm-hmm. there's there's no distinction. and so like you kind of lose like personal qualities and this is my background. I bring this mm-hmm. to the cover like those just th- those are flattened so there's nothing you can really talk about. And so there's, you just kind of avoid it. If yeah. race comes into the conversation, let's just not talk about it's that. Also problematic it's also
1: problematic because it has an assumption that your race doesn't matter in your society. Yeah. And there's a ream of research showing that it, does, it, it It impacts our life chances.
0: Yeah. And anti-racism, like you're saying, is there's the dominant group and there's the, there's the dominated group. And so the dominated group or the minority group, whatever you want to call them, um they now control the conversation they tell the ones who were formerly persecuting them or being racist towards them whatever whatever it was they like they now have the right to basically tell them whatever to do um, kind of like following whatever you do yeah. and the people who are talked to like they're just told, "Hey, submit. Just listen, and like you don't really have a voice in this anymore."
1: Yeah, I think that's basically it. You know, I don't know people who you know. I'm trying to think. They wouldn't say generation.
0: that, but I think what, that's like we're like, kind right. Of I think that that's what comes through.
1: Now, uh, the only thing I would say to hedge on is, you know, can you know do whatever they want to say? I think some people would hedge on that saying, "No, no, we're not saying that." You know, like you have to kill yourself or something like that. I mean, I think yeah. you would know, take that to a ridiculous amount. But we really look at the literature. I mean, literally, it's like, hey. Whites, why aren't you doing what people of color want you to do? Why aren't you giving money? Why aren't you listening and trying to do better? Why aren't you, you know, you know that that, that, that comes across again and again. Yeah, again. it's just a one-way conversation they a they dialogue. Yeah, you know, that, that they, the people of color can say in, literally anything. And yeah. some people would hedge at that. But, you know, it really comes across that the role of whites is to do what people of color want them to do. I think gotcha. the assumption would be that people of color would not be unreasonable. Which, once gotcha. again, does not take into consideration human depravity.
0: Hey all, this is Peter, one of the co-hosts of the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast with a word from one of our sponsors, our title sponsor at Logos Bible Software. Have you gotten your free book of the month from Logos yet? Join tens of thousands of believers who build their library with a free new digital theological book each and every month. Then read it on the free Logos Bible study app. Logos is the easiest to use, most powerful Bible study tool on the planet. You heard that right, on the planet. It works on mobile, the web, and even has an amazing app for your laptop. I myself use the mobile app every night to read from the Hebrew, the Greek, and a few other resources. I love it. I've used other apps, and this is the best one on the market. It really, truly is. And if you want to go even deeper, you can choose from a vast selection of the top books for in-depth Bible study. There's also step-by-step videos to help you learn how to study the Bible like a pro. So get your free book of the month today. Go to logos.com slash guilt grace and get started with Logos today. We have this link in our show notes. So just open up our podcast, find our show notes, click this link, and you can get started with us with Logos Bible software. As you probably know, we talk a lot about Westminster Seminary, California on here. I can't even begin to tell you the impact this institution has had on my faith, my family, and the ministry the Lord has entrusted me with. If you feel called to serve the church and want the most rigorous training for gospel ministry around, consider coming to Westminster Seminary, California, a confessionally reformed institution in sunny San Diego, that offers master's degrees in biblical and theological studies, historical theology, and divinity. Westminster's approach to ministry education emphasizes a mastery of the original biblical languages, maintaining a small student-to-professor ratio, a laser focus on face-to-face education coupled with an understanding of the importance of having pastor scholars with decades of ministry experience train the next generation of servant leaders for the Church of Jesus Christ. If this interests you and I hope it does, call Westminster today at 888-480-8474 to talk to an admissions counselor or visit www.wscal.edu. Again, call Westminster Seminary California today at 888-480-8474 or log on to www. Wscal.edu, which will all be available in our show notes. Westminster Seminary, California, for Christ, His Gospel, and His Church. Are you a student who's looking to go deeper into classical Protestantism and our theological heritage? What about a pastor who wants some sharpening of his theological, exegetical, and historical toolboxes? Are you a layperson who's looking for theological wisdom? Maybe you're an educator looking to lay a classical foundation in theology. The Davenant Institute seeks to retrieve the riches of classical Protestantism to renew and build up the contemporary church. And key to this mission is their educational arm, Davenant Hall. In an age where much theological education both overlooks the riches of church history and keeps students in debt, Davenant Hall is reimagining theological education. They take full advantage of digital technology to make high-quality theological education affordable via online classes. Davenant offers an M.Litt. in classical Protestantism with the standard and pastoral ministry tracks, and a brand-new PhD program in partnership with Union Theological College and Davenant Hall supervisors. Yet they insist that in-person fellowship is key to Christian formation, so to that end, they host regular residentials at the Dominant House Study Center in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountain region of South Carolina. Registration for spring 2023 classes running April to June are now open, but registration closes March 29th. Fees start at just $225 for a 10-week class with a two-hour Zoom class from expert professors each week. Classes include The Reformation in the Modern World, A Biblical Theology of the Sexes, Augustine's City of God, and so many more. These classes look incredible. Visit www.davenanthall.com to find out more, or www.davenantinstitute.org for more information about the whole organization, or go to our show notes and click on the link.
2: Mm -hmm. and inevitably with this topic at some point uh politics is going to be part of the conversation it's kind Mm -hmm. of in our culture in our waters it's going to be mixed in whether it's the left or right both are probably guilty of you know having some having some sort of um political agenda drive what uh the conversation should be Versus what, you know, what's good with, you know, being Christians is you, you can talk about politics for a while, but you're ultimately going to be leaning on scripture mm-hmm. and, you know, how, how, like, maybe this is good advice for even for other authors too. like, how did you know deep down where your limit was on, you know, talking about the current context and politics and culture and be like, okay, I'm not going to go any farther. I mean, I really lean primarily on scripture, yeah. especially concerning your chapter on the theological understanding of your approach. Um, mm-hmm. Are there parts of scripture that you find most helpful, even not just in this book, but in your life that you turn to the most often?
1: Yeah, I, you know, uh, as, as I think about it, I, I think that uh, I try to avoid <laughs> parts of politics in this book. Mm. Yep. You know, I really try to avoid because mm-hmm. I think that I don't want to signal to this book, this book's for conservatives, this
0: book's for liberals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yep.
1: and I uh,
0: I think you thread that needle pretty well. What? I think you thread that needle pretty well. It's, well, it's I try, you know, I, I you, try to yeah, stay out of
1: in. the current politician political yep. situation of the day. Yep. Uh, you know, yep. I didn't know there's one session where I asked people why they voted for Trump because I wanted okay. to illustrate, you know, yep. listening to others other than that, I really try to stay away from, from politics because I don't think that that is the solution either way. Uh, I, I I think that what, what is key is, uh, well, I think there's a danger. Uh, and, and I know sometimes Christians have, have done this too, and I'm not excusing us. There's a danger of being so confident you're right that you can do whatever you want to get people to follow along. I think that happens in our politics and our research conversations and a lot of things. I enter this thinking, you know, I have my I have my own uh, arguments. I have my own ways I think. But I am not 100% sure I'm correct. So I have to leave it open for the fact that I need to be corrected sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think if we approach everything like that, then we can learn and we can work together. I think when we are confident that we cannot learn from others, I think that's when we have problems.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so oh, before we move any, um, just kind of the last part of the question too, any parts of scripture that you're kind of be your lifelong favorites that you keep going back to? Huh. Uh, you know,
1: I, I look at the themes that I see, you, you know, as far as human depravity, uh, you know, the Bible talks about uh, you know, that we should esteem others before ourselves. Uh, you know, as far as a specific Bible verse, I can't think of what off the top of my head, but these are just, you know, I come back again and again on on how, uh, as Christians, our job is to recognize their depravity, mm-hmm. to, to, uh, to, to uh, value others, to, to serve others, you know, image bearers, uh, and to see them in that way. Uh, and that's sort of what, try, what I try to use to keep me humble.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. And that, that bridges well into to my question, because knowing that we're depraved, knowing that we're sinners, there is going to necessarily be some blind spots that we mm-hmm. we don't see. You You said this yourself too. Uh, and as, I think as well, and it's harder for those who are one side or the other to admit that there's strengths on the other side, which is yeah. something that you talk about in your book. Um, so how, how is it, like what, what are both some potential blind spots <clears throat> as well as possible strengths in both the colorblindness, quote unquote, and anti-racist, quote unquote, camps and, and attached to this question? How how would you, and you, you talk about this in your book, how would you best engage in conversation with people who align with either camp?
1: Yeah, you know, I think the colorblind, I think the blind spot and the colorblindness, uh, you know, I think is pretty evident in that colorblindness requires an assumption the things are basically fair, hmm. you know. You have you have occasional races out there, but basic things are fair. And so, uh, you know, we could ignore we could ignore race and we could just move on and, and pretend that.
0: Yeah, as long as it's not overt, on. we don't have to talk about it.
1: Right, as long as it's not overt, you know, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, and this is why you know people are who have this mentality strongly they resent it when you bring up racial issues. They think your bring up racial issues is a problem. And I'm not saying that there are people who bring up racial issues in an unhealthy way that are problematic, but given that we know that your race impacts how you're gonna live your life mm-hmm. to some degree, then it's gotta be brought up. So I think that that's, that, that's a blind spot. Uh, the the value of colorblindness is you know they value equality. Mm-hmm. Which is a good thing, which is something that we should value. Which is something mm-hmm. that's in the Bible. We're all equally fallen for God, so that's a strength that they have. Mm-hmm. They, they 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 value equality. The blind spot for anti-racism, I think, is uh, an unwillingness to recognize that people call themselves can can uh, overcorrect mm-hmm. and 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 that justice can become revenge. Mm-hmm. That uh. You know, there's, there's, uh, there's, there's no really accounting for, uh, you know, when I'm reading some of the stuff about anti-racism, I think, okay, what mechanisms do you have in place that this is not abused? Hmm. You know, what mechanisms do you have in place if you're telling white people, listen, people can't do better, as what D'Angelo tends to do? What mechanisms do you have in place that that person called does not use that to abuse that white person? Are you gonna assume that that's not gonna happen? Because that's going to happen because people of color are no better or worse than anyone else, mm-hmm. as far as when it comes to moral.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I think that's a huge blind spot. I mean, that's why a lot of the programs fail. The strength of anti-racism is that it does recognize the need for justice.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That we do have to correct, you know, the harm, and that those who uh who misuse others should face justice, and the innocent should receive. Uh, I think that's a great thing. So when you, one way to look at it is, you know, communism gives us equality, and gives us justice. Both of those are good qualities. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you just concentrate on equality, 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 and you forget about, you know, the inefficiency of our system and how it's not always fair, then you're going to be unfair. Just concentrate on justice, that can spin out of control and turn into revenge. Mm-hmm. There really needs to be a balancing and to me, the balancing comes in the conversations. Hmm. Uh, I tell people, you know, there are times where I'm colorblind. When I'm grading my students' tests, their race will not impact their grade. quality of their work is going to impact their grade? There are times where I'm anti-racist. You know, when I'm looking at some of the uh, injustices that are out there. So I'm not saying that these things are unreasonably evil and, you know, with no redeeming value. I think they have value. But like most things, you know, you la- if you lack nuance, it can spit out of control.
0: Yeah, yeah. You talk about in your book, too, <clears throat> before next next question, that there's some of the organizations that you're part of or that you've seen that have done this well. So maybe if you can yeah. shout out, like, how, how has this been done well yeah. that we can look to? It's like, oh, this is a good example of, of how we can do this. You know,
1: there is an organization out, I think it's in uh, Los Angeles, uh, called Game Changers that brought together people with the community and police officers. And at least they've had some short-term success with that. So uh so you know that's been an interesting organization. Uh I think River Angels, I've become more aware of them. They have not touched on racial issues, but they're but they've been leading uh productive conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh I you know I think that they've done some some good stuff as well. Uh there are some churches that have had you know, they've become multiracial. I used to write about multiracial churches, study them. Yep. And they found out ways to have healthy conversations. So we can see it here and there. You know, we don't, it's not systematic in our society. We can see it here and there. But there's some organizations that are starting to do or have done some work in this area.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, God. Um,
2: Yeah, and I... I think what you're saying, especially from a Christian perspective uh, is kind of like in the same vein as, you know, Dr. King's message too. just representing, you know, uh, how to, uh, you know, be be a Christian first and work across, you know, be uh, work across race lines and everything. So, no, it's a good message. It's, it's, um, you know, and knowing that you're, I don't know if you had any, this is kind of like a random comment. <laughs> I don't know if you had a response yeah. on that before I jumped into a question. You, you talk
0: about Dr. King a little bit, in your yeah. book too, and, and a few others, and how he's been either misused or how he's, like, how he's used correctly yeah. like Maybe, yeah, talk about that too. That's why, I, yeah, kind of yeah. put that in. <clears throat> yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, I think King, you know, while like the rest of us, has flaws, not perfect, I think his direction, uh, because King was, if you look at uh you know uh the student national coordinating committee or you mm-hmm. look at uh you know malcolm x and you look at uh a lot of the other yep. movements, they were much more of this is a black movement and king was this is a movement for everyone we're gonna take yeah. in everyone yep. and we're gonna move forward yeah now it's at a different time and it's a time where that's where a protest was necessary because you know, you're you're really you're clearly going against an overtly racist. Yeah, system.
0: exactly. Yep.
1: Yeah. But even in even in that protest, what he wanted was to have, you know, bring people together. I think that we have to think along those lines. I don't. I'm not saying that we need to bring people together in a protest because protesting, I think, has limited value today. Mm-hmm. I do think that uh, that we need to find ways to bring people together to have communication mm-hmm. so that we can correct some of the remaining inequities
0: we have in our society. Yeah, that, that makes sense. It's There's, like you said, <clears throat> you said, there's movements have their strengths and their weaknesses. So there's some that have strengths like promoting more justice into the world and, and conversations, but there's also the weaknesses where it tends to be dominant on one voice or dominant on one background. So you were saying, yeah, there's different movements in the 60s when, again, racism was more overt because the laws were actually overt, kind of in your face, mm-hmm. racist. Um, but Dr. King, instead of being like, we're a black movement, Towards black values, which were necessary because those were actually being kind of pushed against or pushed back on. But he said, No, we're we have people from every tribe, people, mm. tongue, nation, and we're we're working to promote unity in society versus just for one people group, though they were still being um more overtly pushed against at that time.
2: Yeah, yeah. He was much more unifying message for sure. So yep. it's good. Thank thank you for you said so much better than me catching, uh, catching Dr. his Yance. drift. Yep no, I was talking to George. (laughs) He said it's so much better than me, but yeah, it's Peter. You did too. We, that was good. Um, so, uh, your book or any book focused on racism, uh, ethnic division culture, see it on the bookshelf. It might trigger some people might like stir something up. They might have some sort of reaction from all sides. It's just kind of maybe a human, I don't know if it's in the culture today where it's just like out there so much where people might have a natural reaction to it. Um, how do you hope your book will both edify Christians and, you know, this is kind of like an apologetics episode
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, and those who may see Christians as racist. And again, kind of the most common critique I hear from atheists or non-believers is saying, Oh, the Bible promotes slavery, you know, and they have none. Un- they don't have an understanding. Like, or have or you Christians read the-
0: vote for racists or Christians vote for people who, don't believe in unity. Well,
2: well, and, and the kind of the response is like, well, Mr. Atheist, have you ever read the Bible? Do you know the biblical definition of slavery in the Bible, how it's different than today? So is Christianity a racist religion is or is it actually our best way forward for all races to unite in the worship of Jesus Christ? That was a pretty easy question. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, all right. Let, let me first go back to, you know, how I hope to edify Christians. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that, as you probably know, that we are probably in a post-Christian world right now. Yep. That uh, you know, Christian, you know, we can go into exactly how that's happened and what it looks like. We're in a post-Christian world where being a Christian isn't necessarily to your advantage in our society, whereas right. in the past it was more likely to your to your advantage. Yeah. So you know, we have this post-Christian world. Uh, any post-Christian world, people are not going to come to your churches just because they feel obligated to. You know, 40, 50 years ago, people feel obligated to go to church. They don't, they're don't. they not going to do that. And you know, maybe you could reach them there even if they weren't a Christian. So people are going to come to church or come to us if we offer them something they can't easily get outside of the church.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I believe that Christianity offers the keys to deal with racism. Mm-hmm. If we lift it out that in a post-Christian world, we are offering people something they're not getting outside,
0: and you, you can't know? get outside.
1: Yeah, when you when you uh, just imitate, be a colorblindness or anti-racism, what the world's doing. Why would people need to go to church for that? Yep. So I think you know if we were serious about having productive conversations and solving problems and taking leadership, solving problems mm-hmm. in a post-Christian world. I think that's going to open up doors to talk to people about Christ. And even if it doesn't open up all those doors, at least make people not as hostile towards Christians. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some people who are going to be hostile no matter what. They hate Christian Christians, Christianity. Yep. Fine. But there's people who don't care, but they could become more hostile, they become more accepting. At least those individuals, we would show them, hey, there's something here to that. So I think that, that that you know is something that we have to do with the work, but we can become a more powerful witness in the post-Christian world. Mm. You know, I've I've touched on Christianity is not a racist religion. That you know, that I think it's silly to even talk about that since race wasn't even a concept. Right. is mean birth. And yeah. people who want to say Christianity is a racist religion. I think you can argue Christians are more racist. Mm. Than other mm-hmm. Christians, you can look at some data. That's and, different than Christianity, yeah, right? That's that. That's different. Uh, I th- so I think that we have to, uh, rather than uh, leading, I don't know, protests against CRT or something like that. We should be encouraging people to have honest discussions. Yeah. Uh, I think we need to approach this differently. You know, I th- I think that we need to approach this as, hey. You know, our human depravity means that whatever solution we're offering probably has weaknesses and blind spots. We need to talk to each other to find better solutions. Mm. We need to be, be at the forefront of pushing that. That's not going to disarm everyone's going to make that claim of Christians being racist. But more and more people, if we did that, more and more people would say, hey, the way you want to deal with racism, you, the Christians are doing
3: dealing
1: with that. Mm. They're doing it with a healthy way. Mm. That, I think, over time can change the perception people have of Christians not everyone once again, but enough people to where this notion of Christianity be linked to racism would go away. Mm-hmm. And then finally, you know, yeah, we don't have Christians pushing slavery today in the United States, but people would argue some of the what our voting patterns are mm-hmm. problematic. You know, I don't want to get into the parts of politics. What I will say is that regardless who you vote for, if your candidate calls out, you know, is it if your candidate is, is engaging in rhetoric that is harmful, hurtful, alienating, dehumanizing, Christians need to call that out. You may call out and say, you know, I'm still going to vote for you, but you should not be saying this. Yeah. Because if you don't call it out, then you'd be to own that right away. So I think that's something that Christians nearly need to do in a much more serious way. Is, uh I find some Christians are so busy. uh he demonizing Christians who vote differently from them, instead of accepting, uh, and, and and instead of instead of calling out the alienations alienating speech of other of political candidates, hmm. I think that we need to uh, concentrate more on the latter than the former.
2: Hmm. Yeah, because you and can I find think... Yeah, keep going, Nick. I was just gonna. I like what you're saying. Just a, like a natural uh, reflection on that is, it's calling us to be salt and light in the world. You know.
0: Yeah, it's easy to have division in the world. It's easy, like you said, to find an organization that's colorblindness or organizations anti-racist. You know, like you go to a church that falls in either camp, you're like, well, I can just go to this organization that doesn't require anything of me, like really besides me believing the same stuff, versus a church that's having, like you said, productive conversations. Like, oh, this is different than what I'm seeing in culture. That, amongst all the things that we know, churches that do preaching the gospel, Um, being paramount but yeah if we're we're doing the things right then we're going to look different than the culture does and that's kind of our job
3: yeah
0: well cool yeah Uh, before we end this kind of last question um, unless you guys have anything else to add to this but last question is you reference some of your other works and some other stuff that you've um, written and maybe that you're still writing or whatever it is but um, where can you point our listeners to to stuff that maybe you've written that you think may be helpful for them to read and, and engage with to to help this conversation keep going to where they can continually kind of have this in front of them is okay, like, hey, how can I engage in conversations around this in a, in a healthy and productive way?
1: Yeah, I do have a website, georgeyancy.com, that you go look and I I post, you know, my books, many of my books. I don't know if I post all of them, but like, many of my books on that. Uh, you do go to J- George Andy, spelled Yancey, spelled Y N C E Y, not C Y. There's actually mm-hmm. a George Yancey out there, C Y, that people <laughs> use with. Mm-hmm. Uh, live for Great Fun. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, so that's maybe where you can see some of the stuff that I've written, you know, uh, as far as on race and on anti-Christian bias and and, and that sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah, I'll just point there. Um, obviously, you can do, do Amazon, do a search for me on yep. Amazon as well.
0: Cool. Well, Dr. Yancey, thanks for thanks for talking about this. Thanks for your research and and thanks for what well, I, mean, I, well, I think both Nick and I would agree on. And obviously, you would agree on since you wrote the book. Um, But really, a truly like a better way forward Mm. than just kind of these two kind of opposite camps, kind of yelling at each other, Mm. saying, hey, you're doing it wrong. No, you're doing it wrong. Let's let's figure out a better path forward. But yeah, thanks for your research on racism, for anti-Christian bias, these things that we can have more productive conversations on.
1: Thank you. And God bless. Thank you.
2: Hey, guys, thanks so much for listening to the episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And if you go to our show notes, as a reminder, there is a link to Patreon and you can find out how to become a bridge builder. Yeah,
0: we've got five different support levels and the levels go from uh, just a a $5 donation to help keep the lights on and, and get some equipment all the way up to you guys get to be part of our decision making process for episodes, for content, for authors, for guests, whoever it may be. And you guys get consistent conversations, maybe even since our episodes, the second that we record them, instead of having to wait for episodes to come out. So look at that, see what you wanna do. As part of that, we have a goal to get about $1,000 a month. That's to cover some costs, get some new equipment, and just hire some people as well. And also, if you guys can rate and review us on iTunes, on Spotify, on any one of your podcasting platforms, This is the number one way besides word of mouth that word gets out about what we're doing. So we hope to see you guys next week.